0: Welcome to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. In this program we visit Brussels, Belgium to discuss the effects of the November 13, 2015 Islamic Extremist Terrorist Attacks in Paris, France. Our guest is Jean-Jacques Jasper, who recently retired as the anchor for the television news broadcast aired nightly in French on the Belgian National television network. While the terrorist attacks occurred in Paris, France, investigations led authorities to neighboring Belgium in search for the suspects causing a state of emergency in the country's capital city, Brussels. Currently, Jean-Jacques Jesper is a journalism professor and a member of the Belgian Journalists Committee on Human Rights. Jean-Jacques Jesper and I first met here in Mendocino County in 1977 when he was the leader of a television news magazine team reporting on California. When Jean-Jacques Jesper and I visited by phone from his home in Brussels on November 28, 2015, we began when I asked him to describe what occurred and what the Belgian people's reactions were to the November 13th terrorist attacks in Paris and the lockdown in Brussels.
1: French police found out that uh, some of the people involved in that bombing, involved in that uh, killing in Paris, um, were coming from Brussels, from Molenbeek. Uh, uh, for this reason, the Belgian police started to search for these people uh, all over the city. They needed uh, more, uh, more police, more, more people for these uh, searchings. So they decided to establish sort of a lockdown. It meant that cinema, theater, concert halls, meetings, demonstrations, and so on were, were closed or forbidden. We've seen uh, many soldiers, many military, uh, many policemen in the streets to protect uh, schools and metro stations, public houses, and so on. For two days, the, the schools, the metro, the sports stadium were closed. Now it's finished. But two days ago, uh, they decided to, to close uh, every place where people could gather. But people here uh, think that uh, it was uh, not useful to, to act that way. It was excessive, that it was uh, too much. Because when you are looking for people, well, you're looking for criminals, it's not useful to impose that sort of lockdown to the people.
0: How long did the lockdown last?
1: Well, it's a very strange situation. Uh, You have four different levels of urgency decided by the government. When the level is two, for instance, uh, you just have some policemen in front of some buildings. And when the level is three, uh, military are coming in the streets uh, and uh, are uh, disposed in front of other buildings. And in level four, these gatherings, their meetings and so on are, are forbidden, are uh, canceled. The cinema, the theater, the meeting halls and so on are closed. Even the schools and the metro lines, because they are underground, are closed. But it was not very coherent because, for instance, the railway that is also underground was not closed. The trains were passing through uh, the, the channels, but the metro was closed uh, for the same reason. Uh, it's a very strange situation, uh, not very rational, not very coherent, and everybody's asking why did they decide that, and why did they decide that it's not necessary anymore, because nothing has changed. The people that they were searching are, are not uh, found. They, they, they haven't found anyone. So um, they have arrested two or three uh, people, but uh, these people are not the major persons involved in the the killings. uh.
0: What does the Belgian government say to the population with regard to the lockdown and their inability to find the criminals that they suspect are there?
1: It's not only the fact that they're looking for criminals. There was... According to the, the the government, there was a threat of another killing in Brussels. They say that they had information about a project of a killing, a massive killing in Brussels, uh, in which uh, 10 different persons would be involved. The Minister of Foreign Affairs declared that, in fact, in an interview with an American network, which was uh, not... Uh, broadcasted, in, broadcasted in Belgium, but uh, now we, with internet, everyone can watch it. So uh, it was a big buzz, a big fuzz in in Belgium um, when people heard uh, that uh, declaration of the, the minister. So now we know that there was a threat, but the, this threat is not uh, has not disappeared. So why do the government decide now that it's finished and that every everything uh, uh, can be normal? <laughs> it's,
0: it's very strange. What is the answer to that question? Why did the government decide that it's finished?
1: They don't really answer the question. They just say that uh, uh, investigations have been made and that uh, they have arrested a few people and that's uh, That's enough uh, from their point of view to uh, decide to lift the the lockdown.
0: From your perspective as a uh, journalist, um, I remember many years ago, you were the person who was live on French television every evening sharing the news. That's it, yeah. mm -hmm. Uh, What do you think was uh, approved or what was beneficial by this... uh, 10-day lockdown? Of course,
1: everything is remain, has to remain secret if you want to um, help the police to, to do its job. So they don't give many information from some information that have been found by uh, journalists or uh, reporters. It, it appears that the police have uh, discovered some um, some seats, some places where these terrorists could have meet could have met. So uh, maybe the, the 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 inquiries, the investigations have have uh, have succeeded in in some way, and that's the reason why uh, they have decided to to go back to the normal situation, but um, nobody knows.
0: <laughs> Let's go back into history uh, mm-hmm. in the short run and in a, from a longer perspective about the consequences, as you call it, uh, that Belgium and France are now paying as a result of um, the choices that your government's made.
1: I think it's mainly France that has to pay for these choices, because France has decided to to um, send uh, planes, airplanes to to Syria and to uh, uh, to export war in in that country and to fight against uh, ISIS, uh, the IS, um, and of course the it's difficult to imagine that if you fight. An enemy. These enemy won't fight back. So that was the the answer. But um, the people who who have uh, made these killings and who are coming from Belgium, from Brussels, from Molenbeek, are coming from uh, a neighborhood where uh, there is 40 uh, percent of unemployment, uh, where uh, there is a majority of people coming from Northern Africa. And uh, there is a lot of drugs, prostitution, uh, teenager gangs, and so on. It has nothing to do with religion. It's just uh, the way they have found to to find a, a sense to their lives. And um, because most of them have been in prison, have been in jail for several times, and um, it's there in prison that they... Have met uh, the people who have radicalized them and uh, and who have drafted them for uh, for the for the war for the jihad.
0: What do you believe is the goal of the people who are involved in the jihad?
1: I think it's a political it's a political goal from uh, from the beginning. Uh, the, the founders of the. Of the ISIS, of the jihad uh, groups in in Syria and Iraq. The founder was uh, a prisoner in Guantanamo. And uh, people say uh, that he has been uh, uh, involved with the CIA and that uh, he he was helped by uh, the Israelis' uh, secret services, by the Saudi secret services by the Qataris, uh, Secret Services, Kuwaiti, and even the CIA to stay, set up this group in order to fight against uh, the influence of Iran in the region, in, in order to fight against uh, the Syrian government who, uh, that was a threat to Israel, and so on. So it it, it has started in a very strange, uh, strange context. Um, and uh, I think now the the goal of the the ISIS is to establish an Islamic state in Syria and Iraq. I don't think they are getting very good for them. It's uh, it's difficult, uh, and uh, they will lose at uh, uh, they will lose their their fight. I think so. They are. Uh, Exporting the fight in, in Europe,
0: but that creates a whole new face, a whole new warfront, of uh, technological war as opposed yes. to in,
1: in order to, to in order to create panic and to to create uh, uh, to, to to disturb uh, the situation in in Europe. Um, but that's not very efficient uh, from their point of view. I think it it will give just. Uh, Bad results.
0: What do you mean, bad results?
1: I mean, uh, if they were really uh, powerful, they, they won't do that. It's, uh, it's a proof of uh, weakness. They are weaker and weaker in their uh, fight in Syria, and so they export their fighting to Europe just to uh, impress the world opinion and so on. But uh, I think they are going to lose.
0: But you've also indicated that uh, the current uh, activities are part of a lasting effect of the agreement between France and Britain in 1920 about the partition of the uh, latter part of the Ottoman Empire.
1: Yes, if you want to uh, look at history, uh, you can um, you can say that uh, it is a... Uh, uh, it's a consequence of uh, for instance the the Sykes-Picot agreements in 1920 when the partition of the Ottoman Empire was decided between Brit- Britain and France and uh, the, the 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 frontier the, the the border between Syria and Iraq was uh, uh, designed it was uh, <laughs> drawn uh, just like that, uh, on 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 the map, uh, without uh, asking anyone <laughs> what the people would would like to, so uh, it it divided uh, the Arabs, it divided uh, the the Muslims, and so on. And uh, since then, there there is there has always been problems in that part of the world, uh, and the the Western the 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 europeans the Britons the the french uh, have always been involved in in the wars in that part of the of asia of uh, um, uh of uh, middle east so um i think this uh this part of the world has to be left uh, in peace and uh I think the best solution would uh, to leave the, the, the local people, uh, uh, find the solution uh, between themselves without, uh, without inter- interfering.
0: Some would argue that that uh, would deprive the countries of oil, uh, Europe and, and North America in particular,
1: I think the problem is not uh, so. Uh, it has been a very deep problem, uh, maybe 20 years ago or even 10 years ago. But now uh, the, the 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 main uh, providers uh, of oil in Europe are, for instance, Russians, Norway, Netherlands, Algeria. Uh, the Middle East is less important in. From this point of view.
0: In this edition of Radio Curious, we're visiting with Jean Jacques Jesper, a retired professor of journalism and former anchor of the nightly news broadcast in French on the Belgian national television network. We're discussing the effects in Belgium of the terrorist bombings in Paris in November 2015. You're listening to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. Let's talk about uh, Belgium. Mm -hmm. How would you describe the reactions of the Belgian people, and by that I mean the ones who are not foreigners to Belgium or of multiple origins, their reaction to the new immigrants and perhaps to the refugees that may be coming from other Uh parts of the world?
1: Well, of course, these events in Syria have... um brought many people to, to Europe. Uh, about 400,000 people this year are coming from from Syria or Iraq because of the war there. And, uh, of course, that increases uh, uh, the number of refugees we have to accept here. But um, in the last month, there have been uh, a lot of people coming, 20,000 the media says say that it's an, an important number, but in fact, uh, uh, 10 years ago, we, we've we already had uh, a large number of refugees uh, coming from other parts of the world, and uh, during the war in Yugoslavia, there were also a lot of refugees coming. So it's not a special situation. We, we're used to it. <laughs> we're used to that. So uh, the problem is to... Uh, house these people of course there have been some negative reactions in some parts of the country but uh, it's uh, not very important uh, of course the extreme rights parties are uh, trying to use the situation to uh, excite the people but it doesn't work very well you have uh, more people who are uh, uh, organizing themselves to welcome the refugees, to find uh, clothes or uh, food or uh, lodgings uh, for the refugees. So uh, it's dividing the society on one side, but on the other side it's uh, creating a a wave of uh, solidarity, and uh, that's quite uh, interesting. The Flemish Nationalist Party, the NVA, is quite uh, conserva- conservative and quite right-wing, and they say that uh, among refugees maybe there are there are terrorists hiding. But I don't think that uh, people are uh, believing in that kind of speech because we can see that the refugees coming here are not terrorists. Uh, they they just have uh, paid a lot of money to. Across the sea, uh, they have maybe lost uh, members of their family. They, they are completely lost, and uh, maybe 99.99% uh, of them are uh, percent of them are just uh, persons in in looking for a better situation. That's all
0: the uh, community of Molenberg in Brussels. Can you describe what is happening there from your perspective?
1: Well, it's, a very, it's a, one of the 19 cities involved, included in the region of Brussels, in the Brussels capital city. It's called Molenberg. It's on the east side of the, of the city. And it is, in fact, divided in two parts. The Eastern part is a very popular part where people are rather poor, and the Western part is a rich part where uh, uh, modern modern buildings buildings are uh, have been built where you can find parks, trees, uh, gardens uh, and so on. But on the East, the people are uh, rather poor. there is a lot of unemployed. Uh, almost 40% of unemployment. Uh, There is a lot of uh, people coming from Morocco, from Northern Africa. Uh, Maybe 70% of the people are coming from Morocco, although they are uh, Belgian. They they have a Belgian passport, uh, and uh, many of them are the the grandchildren of... uh, the people who came here to work in the in the 60s in the in the late 60s um but um, there there are problems of discrimination for instance if you if your uh, name is mohammed or uh, ali you have of course less chance to find a job that, than uh, if your name is mark or paul uh and um Therefore, uh, the the people there uh, are not uh, are sometimes a little uh, anger, and uh, they find that the, the, the society where they where they are living the society they are living in is not uh, integrating them is not uh, uh, giving them uh, good chances to to succeed in life. And that's maybe the reason why some of these young people are uh, so uh, angry and can be seduced by uh, radical uh, discourse, by radical uh, propositions.
0: What do you see as the future of those circumstances that you describe?
1: On one hand, you have to, to go to some mosques where... Uh, uh, a radical uh, discourse or radical speeches are are held, um, and you have to look after some uh, imams uh, that are coming from Saudi Arabia or uh, the Emirates, and uh, who don't even speak French and who spread hate and uh, anti-Semitism, for instance, in their uh, in their speeches. In their preaches uh, and that's one side of the problem but on the other side uh, many politicians are considering now that uh, there have there has to be another politic another way of acting employment, jobs and so on and um, I think there will be change in this little city of Molenbeek in the, in, in the future but when I don't know.
0: <laughs> By and large, you sound optimistic about the situation in your country and in uh, Europe in general.
1: Well, uh, Belgians have always been optimistic because they've always lived in very strange situation. Uh, since uh, 1830, Belgium has always been an occupied country. Uh, the power was uh, brought. The, 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 the people in charge of the power were foreigners. So we're used to uh, resist and <laughs> wait for better days.
0: Well, Jean-Jacques Jesper, I want to thank you very much for being with us on Radio Curious. Uh, but before we close, I'd, I'd like to ask about you. Um, in your long career spanning 40 years as a journalist uh, with prior training uh, in the law. Um, Can you tell us about an aha or eureka moment uh, that changed your life or gave you a new path to follow?
1: Well, it's connected with the moment we met in 1977 in California. And uh, I was there for for a magazine, and uh, I have met so many interesting people there that it uh, has changed my point of view about life. <laughs> the people I met, the the, the places I was uh, visiting, the, the the situations I I, I was uh, reporting about have really changed my mind.
0: What changes uh, did they bring about?
1: It was uh, such uh, a bright way of thinking, and. Um, it was like uh, discovering uh, freedom. <laughs> of course, the fact that I that I had I had the chance to to stay for a while to stay for about uh, one month and a half that was wonderful. It's it's the, the the only the only moment in my career when I had the occasions to the occasion to stay such a long time in a foreign country, and uh, that was very important to me.
0: And Jean-Jacques Jasper, what would you like to do with the rest of your One Precious Life?
1: (laughs) Well, I'm retired now, but um, since I'm retired, I'm, I'm still very active. I'm a member of the Human Rights Committee here in Brussels, in Belgium. I'm also a member of the Press Council, and uh, I'm still teaching at the university, and uh, what I want to do is to go on as long as it is possible. Uh, maybe I will uh, die in, <laughs> in in a few years, but uh, I don't mind. Uh, since I can imagine that I'm useful to something and that I'm... Uh, but I'm a member, an active member of the Society.
0: And finally, is there a book that you can recommend to our listeners?
1: I just read one by Ken Follett, the, the, the British writer. It's called The Century. The series is called The Century. And the last uh, part is called Edge of Eternity.
0: Well, Jean-Jacques Jesper, thank you very much for being with us on Radio Curious.
1: Thank you to you, and uh, it's a real pleasure.
0: Jean-Jacques Jesper recently retired as the anchor for the television news broadcast every evening in French on the Belgian National Television Network. Currently, he is a part-time journalism professor a member of the Belgian Journalists' Committee on Human Rights, and along with other journalists, critiques the news. He and I have been friends since 1977 when we met here in Mendocino County, California. The books Jean-Jacques Jesper recommends are the three-volume series called The Century Trilogy by Ken LaFollette. This program was recorded on November 28, 2015. Radio Curious has over 500 archive editions on our website, radiocurious.org, with new programs published weekly. You may stream, download, subscribe to our podcast service and share them as you wish. They're all free. We appreciate your thoughts, ideas, and comments about our programs and enjoy hearing from you. The email is curious at radiocurious.org. The phone is 707-462-6541. And the address is 280 North Oak Street, Ukiah, UKIAH, California. 95482. Christina Honested is the assistant producer. I'm host and producer Barry Vogel. Thank you for listening.